I was fractured. Splinters of my being are scattered in time. All identical, none complete. What are you? What have I been living with all these years? Sweet dorks, we are new to Who. Whether you don't know the old and only the new, or just need an entry into classic Doctor Who, we are the chaps with suggestions for you. My name's Colin. I'm Stephen. I'm Dan. And I'm Bridget. Whoa! <laughs> We've got Bridget, extra special guest, Bridget. Hi. Bridget, you are looking radiant Dude, this afternoon. Dude, I know. What can I say? Dan, you oh, look babe. like Dan. You got a face for radio. <laughs> you got a face for podcasting, which is the one below that. Uh, Bridget's joining us for City of Death today. So, Bridget, um, tell us a little bit of your uh, history with Doctor Who. Yeah. Who is your first Doctor? My first Doctor was Tom Baker, so this is good. City of Death. Can- Did you catch that from like uh, like reruns on ABC in the nineties or? Pretty much, eh? it was like yeah. a dinner time treat. You saw always be on mashed potato, <laughs> Doctor Who. Yeah. It was like that or mash, so you had to take your pick. And, you- <laughs> and you're into New Who as well. New Who rules. You, uh, yeah, you went crazy for Eccleston. I remember Eccleston. Yeah, he's a honey. Uh-huh. What can you say? Each yeah. Own, yeah. Colin won't say anything. Don't <laughs> no, say anything. No, 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 I'm not saying anything. I think he, I, I, he's a he's a handsome man. Uh, Steve, City of Death, Season 17. It is. It's the second story of Season 17. Yeah. Right, right, And right. at the helm we have Graham Williams, the second of Tom Baker's producers during his seven-year run. Yes. Script editor? The amazing Douglas Adams. Douglas yeah, Adams. Douglas what a, Adams. What a legend. This is one of his very first, um, well... Big gigs, really. I mean, as he's doing the script editing for Doctor Who, he's writing mm. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which eventually will lead him to fame and fortune. Yes. At the same time he's, as this. At the same time. Oh. but he's, he's a big dude then. Yeah, yeah very yeah, much yeah, yeah. so. And we're, I he, think we're very lucky to have him as script editor for one very. season of Doctor Absolutely. Who. He wrote a couple of episodes. He wrote Pirate Planet and... Yeah. And yeah. Charter, which is an untransmitted story. Yeah. Mm. Now, the writer of City of Death <laughs> is <laughs> one is David tricky. Agnew, who's actually... <laughs> Who on earth is David Agnew? Not really a real guy <laughs> no but he's a pseudonym uh it's one of those names that the bbc would use whenever they had um basically a script editor or a producer writing the, the script helping yep. to write yeah double duty yeah he couldn't get paid but twice by the bbc because of union rules that's right mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So i think as we've covered this is cowboy years they did yeah. whatever they liked <laughs> so a- david agnew was in fact douglas adams for Graham, the most part, yeah. At David Fisher. So he wrote the script, yeah. the basis of, of what became City of Death. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Graham Williams. Graham Williams. So the story, story so the is... A wild rewrite? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Over a four-day period, locked in a room with a typewriter and a bottle of scotch, Graham Williams and uh, Douglas Adams are the ones who uh, basically do a rewrite of this. And mm. there's, there's not much that survives of the original David Fisher treatment. No, the gamble oh, in time. The, or oh, the yeah, the casino time, and yeah. stuff. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Williams didn't want... Did there be any gambling or anything like that? He's quite no, he immoral. He, yeah, that's right. He was right. a kid's show and he yes. was like, we're not doing that. He's quite moral, but he'll punch a dude out at the end. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. we got to save the planet. And director? 
Michael Hayes. Michael Hayes, so, famous for the Androids of Tara yes. and also the Armageddon Factor. That, well, not so much of a success, but Androids <laughs> of Tara is beautiful. It's yeah. a lovely lyrical story. and Yeah, it's great to have him back on this one. He's done wonderfully, I think. Yeah, I think all of them did, really. Yeah. Um, this is probably definitely a standout story of season 17, if not of Tom's entire run. Well, it's, the, yeah. it's possibly the most... Well, by ratings, it's like... Isn't it the highest-rated story of all the Doctor Who? I think you're right. It's 16, the highest? 16, 16 million, million people, people tuned into watch it. I mean, a lot of people think that they got the 16 million viewers because ITV, uh, for, certainly for parts 1, 2, and 3, were transmitting nothing other than a sort of test card because mm. um, uh, I think they were on strike or something. Mm. Um, but it's not true. Actually, by the time um, BBC's transmitted um, fourth episode of City of Death, um, ITV was already back on the waves. Mm. And nope, people weren't watching that. They were far they came- too engrossed in this. They came back, wanted to see how it finished up, and 16 million people watching this Douglas Adams masterpiece. Wonderful. Gentlemen and lady, may we talk about our TARDIS team, please? We've got Tom Baker as the Doctor and one Lala Ward as, as a character called Romana. The second incarnation of Romana, who's probably my favourite. I know Steve feels very strongly about Mary Tam. He loves. I'm a Romana one fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's my favourite. And you're a Romana too? I just like Lala Ward. I just think she's great. Uh, she is. The character has the same um, attributes, regardless of the actress, because mm. Romana's not a companion who's there to ask dumb questions and be someone for the reviewer to relate to. It's kind of like an equal for the Doctor. Yeah, someone agreed. to make, sort of talk with him, kind of make mm. fun of him. Uh, she's smarter than him a lot of the time. Yeah. It's great. And I think they mm. both do it they both do that in different ways, and I like mm. the way Lella Ward does it yeah, a lot. Yeah. They're, very, they're very playful together. They're always having they a good are. Time. So they're both Time Lords, which mm. is pretty awesome. I think that's why the character works so well. Yes, so She's great. not the screaming mm. companion. She's the Doctor's equal. And, and in many ways, as you say, Dan, he's better. Yeah. Definitely. And, it's, and that's highlighted a couple of times in this story as well. <laughs> I found when watching their stories together, even with um, Mary Tam as well, mm. they're often like... They're the smartest people in the room. Mm. They've kind of have got everything figured out yes. already mm-hmm. ahead of time, and they're just kind of like making jokes with each other. Yeah, because yeah. they're like they're yeah. so confident that they're going to get out of it. Cool, everyone else is freaking out and like we're yeah. going to die. And it's sort of like, nah, let's just make jokes and laugh at each other and wink and stuff. They're yeah. just like adorable. I love them. Can we before we go off from Romano because mm. I just love her so much? Yeah, I want to know what Bridget thinks of the character and yes. how that sort of squares with that sort of traditional, even stereotypical view of the Doctor's companion. Mm, I kind of liked it because it was a pretty good role for a woman. Really, like. Mm. Mm. You have to be some like flailing. Oh no! Yeah. Save me, Doctor! You hot dad. But then she was in a schoolgirl outfit, which yeah. kind of made me feel a bit weird. But then I thought, yeah. you know, <laughs> he gets to wear wear cool stuff. So yeah, yeah. You know. It is so. It is quite a risky outfit. I never. It never. I never really like clicked in my head that it was a schoolgirl Neither. outfit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just thought she's wearing a, a, a well, you know, hat and a tie. Lala Ward actually chose that herself. Yeah. She wanted to identify with young girls because a lot of young. She thought, well, young girls are going to hate. Oh, they, yeah. They'd hate wearing these uniforms forms going to school so she thought she'd wear them to make, make it, it a little bit fun and a, cool. a bit of, a bit of an identity with them okay she wasn't banking on all of the letters she got from the dad saying hey nice school uniform <laughs> oh. apparently on the even, on, even true. during Georgie. filming they were getting a lot in paris and stuff they were getting Ooh. a lot of looks like lascivious looks and stuff <laughs> so dodgy i really first, like her i think she's yeah. really cool you love that yeah. first scene where they but were i was of, like oh really dudes school, uniform. Her in a school uniform well you know what her um the alternative for her was uh, what the costume de- designer had come up with and it was a silver like one piece cat suit type thing mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, so guess, Lala Ward sort of put her foot down and said, oh, "No, absolutely not." Didn't the costume um, designer quit? She, she quit. She yeah, quit. yeah, right. fairly early on. It's sort she, of it's sort of implied that uh, she didn't that, get along with that, uh, Lala Ward. Yeah, that they were sort of butted heads a bit over the okay. costume yeah. choices. Bridget, so. you really like those first scenes where they're sort of running around mm. Paris together. Yeah, there was like this nice energy about them. It's yeah. like romance, mm. city of love, it's a city of love. <laughs> yeah. 
like also that. where Tom Baker and Lala Ward actually yeah. did fall in love. Yeah, oh, and, see, uh, that's obvious. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. you it, can you see kind it. Of like, yeah. Yeah. What's happening here? Yeah. Yeah. Chemistry yeah. is like yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's off the scale. They ended up getting married, of course. So no. yeah, it was not about for, a year later. Yeah, not, not for a super long time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, Tom Baker was never known for his. Uh, well, we won't keep that. Yeah, yeah. We won't go there. We won't go there. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. We talk about off mic bridge. There's some funny. There's some funny stuff. That's for the after party. Yeah, yeah. Steve, I do believe at the end of the last episode we spoke a little bit about how this is a very different uh, story for Tom Baker in his run, for his fourth Doctor. Okay, so the last one that we saw together was Terror of the Zygons, which is one of the classics of the Philip Hinchcliffe era, Mm -hmm. which were the first three years of Tom Baker's run of seven years as the Doctor. Mm. And as we said at the time, it's it's really sort of hallmarked by a a gothic horror style. Yeah, Uh, It's designed really to scare the pants off kids, and Mm. they do it wonderfully so. And, but it's not until um, three seasons in that um, Hinchcliffe is replaced by Graham Williams and his directive from his boss is basically to make the show a lot lighter mm-hmm. and a lot funnier as well. Mm. And I think that's what hallmarks the, uh, the Graham Williams era. His three years are, are one of, of levity, of wit. The scripts are, uh, are quite fantastical. And as such a different dynamic for Tom as well. Yeah, off too. yeah definitely so. Who is probably, uh, this is like the second to last year of his tenure, he's probably getting a bit tired of people telling him what to do and how to play it. Yeah, I, don't think, I don't think Tom fam- Baker ever likes anyone telling <laughs> well, yeah, him what you to know, do. But, now, but by now he famously was like, he's, I know who the Doctor is, like, you yeah, can don't tell me, me who it is yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Can we actually talk a little bit about Douglas Adams' dialogue, actually, in this regard? The jokes are fantastic. It's so witty and it's so quick. He's a, he's a comedic master of the one-liner mm. and over and again we get mm. that throughout. I read that um, Lala Ward and Tom Baker made a lot of it up. Like some of oh. their some of their jokes together, not all of it, but a lot of it. Yeah, sure right, right. And you can kind of tell it does have some some of it does have kind of an improv feel, or it felt, feels like they came up with that on the day. Or yeah, yeah. They wrote they wrote some stuff that helped contribute to the writing. Yeah, apparently. I think that's again the chemistry at play there. I think so. Yeah, yeah. and it's mm. lovely to watch, Steve. If you were to describe City of Death <laughs> in one sentence, a high concept, if you will, what would it be? A one-eyed millionaire alien plans to steal the Mona Lisa to fund his experiments with time. Perfect. <laughs> also to save his whole race from extinction? Yeah. That's yeah. by the by. Yeah, that's just like <laughs> secondary. Secondary. Doesn't matter. And uh, Bridget, of course, you prepared your high concept one sentence. <laughs> did you really? I actually did. Big hair. Big teeth. <laughs> So much love. <laughs> that was pretty much what I got from that whole episode. Also, I want to know, it's like, does the Mona Lisa have eyebrows? I mean, does she? I don't even remember. I'm going to go out on limb and say she probably doesn't. We'll That's a that. big limb, hey? Yeah, it's yeah. a pretty famous picture. Email in if you know the answer to that one. <laughs> yeah, and uh, if it's not an answer we like, you will get a sunglasses emoji. In <laughs> Uh, oh, Bridget, now I don't want you to be alarmed, by the way. Uh, at some point this afternoon, uh, our Foley man Clive is actually going to be coming in. You will see a, a bedraggled figure sort of rolling in a Moog synthesizer. He's going to play the spoiler music, and that sort of just sort of tells it. In fact, I think I hear a door. Clive! So- oh! <laughs> Clive, that was a Ming Dynasty vase. Sorry, lads. Clive. <laughs> He's yeah. saying it's okay, so we're just going to keep going and. Uh, uh, no, sorry guys, that is the spoiler music. Not my best work. And he's jumped out the window, okay. All we right. are in the spoiler zone. This is the point where we tell you that if you haven't watched City of Death, go off and watch it. Why are you listening to a podcast about an episode you we haven't seen? We say this every time, guys, Why? every month. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Can yes. I just touch on the title, City mm. of Death? Why is it called City of Death? 
I'm sure you're right to tell us. Look at, <laughs> look at that look at that cheek. Look at that smile. He's so excited. Um, it's it's a lovely French pun, and it's a pun mm. in the sense that um, Paris is known, of course, as the city of love rather mm-hmm. than the city of death. But when said in the French, Cité de la Mort is very uh, similar, similar to, to yeah. Cité de la Morte. Mm. So there ah. we have it. We have a very clever Douglas Adam pun in the French for do. City of Death. Yeah, they're very similar when you see them in, uh, in French, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was quite clever. And again, just another cool. you know, witticism on behalf of Douglas Adams. And uh, Steve gets to show off his French too, <laughs> which is schoolboy at best. And really, isn't Paris the biggest support? character in this uh, in this story oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about paris baby yeah we should talk about paris so um can i talk uh, we talked a little bit earlier about our production team can i mention one uh, one man that uh, we didn't mention who pops up a lot in our in our, our podcast now he's uh, the lowly production unit manager at this stage <laughs> and it is one john nathan turner jnt the himself. infamous jnt mm-hmm. the original at this stage okay so why are you using <laughs> why so, are you using his name in vain because uh he was i guess the bean counter would you call him the yeah, bean counter yeah. he was the one who was budgeting saying no we can't afford this we can't afford that sure they weren't going to shoot in paris i don't think the idea had even really entered into discussion right. they were looking at building sets J&T worked out they could actually save £25 by actually getting the train to Paris and shooting on location. <laughs> £25. £25. Because <laughs> so they only really brought a skeleton crew with them, They're just a sound guy, a camera yeah. person, yeah. the director. And, yeah. So I just, I think that Jonathan Turner just wanted to go to Paris. Well, oh, he didn't get to go. J&T was there in Paris. Get out. Uh, the second art gallery location where the TARDIS yeah. was, uh, was parked, uh, Tom Baker set the alarms off on the doors. Everyone scarpered before the police got there and JNT was left behind to answer to, to the <laughs> so he was actually there Jen Dunn. Yeah. and Tom Baker yeah you, you, you're right he hit the doors yeah. too hard and set the alarm up open these f***ing <laughs> doors <laughs> they never seem to walk anywhere in Paris mm. whenever they're, they always run they run but they do it excitedly yeah. and they do it not not. I guess like they do it like tourists you know mm. they, they are running around and they're looking at things and they're sightseeing I do want to talk a bit about the direction here Ooh, yeah. uh, Michael Hayes direction is fantastic yeah. it's almost like the camera at times is spying on the Doctor and Romano, it's peeking mm. around corners. It's mm-hmm. sort of it's shooting them in reflection of shop windows. And Paris is a very energetic, bustling town. You've got like all the Parisians are sort of like doing their shopping and things mm. as well. Mm. And in amongst it all is this sort of you know wild head Tom Baker and this you know twenty five year old woman in a school uniform <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Oh, should we talk about the up Eiffel the top? Tower? Well, they're at the top. Oh, that's cool. They wanted I think, to. I think it, probably the biggest supporting actor in this was probably the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely in episode one and yeah. four. Yeah. Most, most <laughs> Uh, we've got the Eiffel Tower location shoot, which mm. is pretty awesome. The up the tower as well, mm. it's like mm. uh, in the street below. But um, did we shoot in the Louvre or on in a set? No, I believe no, it was definitely been, a set. It so definitely we've got the set, exterior yeah. shots, and we see Notre Dame, which isn't too far away in mm. the Latin Quarter. Mm. Uh, it's really like the edited highlights of Paris. Mm. I think the they, really, yeah. they really wanted to milk it because just to say we were really here. Oh man! Uh, what was your favourite Paris part? I just like how retro the whole thing looked. Old cars. People who are like wearing skivvies. Oh, yeah. like, bad haircuts. Bad haircuts, big yeah. teeth. I just love it all. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's that's 70s. Doesn't, doesn't someone ask the so doctor 70s. what year it is? And he's like, uh, it's 1979. And you're like, it definitely is 1979. <laughs> More of a yeah, table yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's great. Yeah, a lot of the locals are probably what you call 70s hot, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you said that about Tom Baker. I said, uh, you know, I said, do you find, would you have ever found Tom Baker attractive even if it was the 70s? And he said, no, but he is a hot dad. It's, it's, it's the confidence. The confidence. Mm. Sure. Mm, okay. Yeah, he's larger it's than funny. life. 
I think maybe we should talk a little bit about our supporting cast. Well, you've got Duggan. You have to have uh, Duggan. Let's Tom talk Chadman. about. Let's talk about this. Okay, so Tom Chadburn is 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 Duggan. Mm. I want to contend that he's basically a surrogate canine who doesn't make an appearance in this. Sure. Okay. In so this serial. He's like another companion with the Doctor and Romana. I could see that. Yeah. He asks yeah. A lot Providing of a bit of the, yeah. the violent threat. Um, but I think Dan, <laughs> yeah. Dan, you also said that um, he's kind of like the audience identification figure. Well, yeah, because mm. you've got Romana. They don't do this all the time, but when you've got Romana, who's his kind of the doctor's equal and doesn't need to ask dumb questions so that the audience uh, yeah. can understand what's yeah. happening yeah true they need they kind of needed someone in here to do that mm. and i think he's the yeah but he also comes with um a lot of violence yeah <laughs> just, violence. Yeah, yeah yeah he uh, basically just breaks everything he just breaks he's great <laughs> yeah yeah i mean he gets the job done yeah but other times he you know he can't even be bothered opening a bottle of wine properly he's just gonna <laughs> smash it on the table he, yeah uh, he's right. like are you gonna drink out of the bottle Can yeah. you cut your face off the guy he obviously doesn't know his own strength he's just, yeah. he's he, just like stand back stand back I, I guess he's like a film. He's just supposed to be like a film noir, private eye, tough, Definitely, private yeah. type dude. Yes. Now you've yeah. mentioned um, in regards to Harry Sullivan in our Zygons episode that he was a bit of a bulldog Drummond. This yeah. is very much a thing. Oh, that action man. It, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a huge thing with and the I, character. I think there's also shades of like the American Gumshoe from the Raymond Chandler kind of um, pulp yeah. fiction as well. Sure. You know, he, <laughs> probably most obviously signified by the fact that he wears that sort of the beige mat. trash coat, <laughs> yeah, trash coat. The dirty oh, mat. God, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I think yeah, definitely shades of. Of, of Bulldog Drummond, but also of that sort of film noir detective too. Yeah, I think so. The sort of hang dog down on his luck. Yeah. But but English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's English. kind of and, dorkier. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's actually there to be sort of investigating an um, art thefts, right? Sure. So mm-hmm. he's sort of like, he's lurking around the Louvre. And then he just, then he's thrust into a crazy world of, there's bits of when, when they're all talking in the in the Count's Chateau, they're all talking about all this crazy stuff and he's just like, what is going on? What is going I, on? I think the character really sort of benefits from the fact that the way that he's introduced, there's mm. three beautiful set pieces, mm. one in a row after yeah. another. Yep. So you get the, the scene in the, in the Louvre, which is like, Beautiful. We talk about uh, you know high comedy and fast. Mm-hmm. That that's a gorgeous like uh, slapstick comedy piece, I think. Yeah. And of course, he follows him then to the um, the cafe mm. scene, which is actually also you know, hilariously funny. Mm. Uh, at which point they're um, apprehended by the count's men, and it's off to the chateau. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he's he's very much out of place there. He looks to pick up a chair and smash it uh, before the dog just drops him. Yeah, that was so good. Duncan, what are you doing for heaven's sake? That's a Louis Cairns. <laughs> well, then, yeah, so we're at the Chateau, so we've got the, the Count and the Countess. Now, oh. Julian Glover. Playing Count Scarlione. Bridget, your And thoughts. wasn't he wonderful? Bridget. He was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hot Dad? Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's say Hot Dad. Yeah. He's a no, he's scary really Hot Dad. He's not a dad type, yeah. Yeah, really. He's more of a terrifying yeah. evil James Bond villain. Hot scary un- uncle. Hot uncle. Hot weird scary uncle. uncle. Okay, that's oh weird. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> I don't even know. His outfit as well. Like, <laughs> just that white suit. He, the silk like, scarf. He's trussed cool up bad. like a Victoria sponge cake. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, he's in the silk kimono. When he, he looks fabulous in each, in each incarnation. He does look fabulous. <laughs> Bridget, can I ask you, yeah. when we go to Renaissance Italy, to Leonardo, Da Vinci's studio <laughs> and Captain Tancredi played by Julian Glover appears at the door trussed up in corsets and wigs with what, that hair what did we think oh that hair oh yeah that's I right. was like whoa it's that dude 
What a babe. Yeah. <laughs> you're, into the, you're into this limp, long-haired um, scallywags. I was like, I wonder if he's mean. And Clearly. he was. He was <laughs> mean. Yeah, yeah, of course he's mean. Um, but he's just so great. He brings that sort of like uh, commanding deep voice and he's tall and handsome mm, and like yeah. just such a great actor. He's been in so many good things. Yes. Well, yeah. he was uh, He was in Empire Strikes yes. Back. He was been in James Bond. Uh, he was Last a villain. Crusa- he was in Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. He An was amazing in film. Was he's he? so good yeah, in that. Donovan. Yeah. Does, anybody here, does anybody here know where they might have seen him in Doctor Who before as well? Well, I don't know. He Does was it? Richard the Lionheart in The Crusade. Oh, the Crusade. William, Hartnell. William Hartnell. Yes, he Back was Back in 1964. God, he would have been fresh-faced. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is he doing now? I love and it. Bridget's like, just like, no, never mind about then. What's he doing now? <laughs> An actor like Julian Glover never really retires. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just slowly fades. Yeah, he's, he's, inside, he's alive and he's still acting, I'm sure of it. So he's wonderful. I mean, he's already been in a couple of things. Maybe not as... He hasn't been in the big American films that are coming up, but yeah. he's already been in a couple of things, so he's quite... Well known, yeah, I think. So. Empire yeah. Strikes Back isn't until a year later. Does he have a famous later. son mm. as well? Yeah, his son's Crispin Glover, the super creepy oh, uh, George Crispin McFly Glover. from I Back love to the Future. Crispin Glover. Yeah, is that Julian Glover's son? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. okay. Now he should be in Doctor Who. He's. Crazy. I was oh trying my to. Oh, she so should be. <laughs> yeah, I would yeah, watch yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I read. I'm the... Not fall asleep. I promise. <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I did read an interview with Julian Glover that said um, about, about City of Death. That said there was a bit um, when he's wearing the mask and stuff, and he said, "My boy loved it," and I was like, "That must be Crispin Glover." So I just I scoured the internet. Oh, how and because obviously Chris oh, McGlover is a he's a weirdo. He must have yeah. loved Doctor Who as a kid. I scoured yeah. the internet trying to find anything where he talks about his dad being in Doctor Who, but I couldn't find it. He doesn't uh, do it. Yeah. Oh wow, that that's amazing though. Yeah, my boy loved it. How nice is that? He's just great. He's, he's a, wonderful. He does feel like an alien though. Yeah, yeah. he does. Yeah. I agree with Paris that. Wife did not know that. Yeah, well, <laughs> many yeah. many years. Yeah. Uh, seems yeah. a bit far fetched. Yeah, well, a vapid woman. Uh, <laughs> well, the Countess. Too, too easily. Obviously not a smoker. I'll no. put that out there. Yeah. Oh, you think the actress is not a smoker? Definitely not. Couldn't smoke a ciggy. Oh, she does do it really awkwardly. Yeah, <laughs> you can't even see that, but that's, it was bad. That's quite well done. <laughs> yeah. Well, her character, yeah, she's very easily distracted um, by trinkets and and what? creature comforts. What I guess is, is that her motivation? What? Because what is her motivation? Why would she? Ha- yeah. Okay. Well, Notoriety. Because yeah. her husband, the Count, is quite a big name around Paris. Yeah. Like everyone's heard of Count Scaglione. Was dug as famously. <laughs> maybe she. Maybe she loves him. Who knows? She loves him. He's weird and he's weird and alien and he, mm. he talks about strange things and he's got all these kinds of technological devices they can sure. never have had sex though surely sure, they, well they got married mate surely she <laughs> surely she loves him uh, weird she must do despite all his flaws think, and bizarre I don't think it's a consummated relationship so. oh my mm. goodness oh right 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 yeah, yeah so she's an true. alien beard Let's talk about the Countess, played by the wonderful Catherine Schell. Mm. Uh, so we've known her previously from Space 1999. She was also in Return of the Pink Panther oh, yeah, with uh, Peter Sellers, and you which said, is pretty yes. awesome. You said she was a Bond girl? Yes, she was a Bond girl in the George Lazenby film on Her Majesty's yeah, Secret Service. Yeah, she's one of many Bond girls in that, yeah. Not being a huge Bond dude, I actually really do like George Lazenby. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's something for another podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which we will never do. Never. Yeah, we will never ever do James Bond. <laughs> okay. So who's left? We got Kerensky. Mm-hmm. Is the accent real? Because it's pretty bad. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> Research costs money. If you want results, we must have the money. It yeah. is bad. Yeah. David Graham though is the actor, and he supposedly had, I think, a Russian grandma on his mother's side. Oh, or something really? Like that. Mm. So he based the accent on mm. that. I don't think it's particularly authentic it's myself. No, no. So he's playing the not that switch. <laughs> <laughs> the nervous fidgety yeah. professor under the count's employ. Yeah, who's uh, who's uh, assigned the task of uh, building his time generator 
time manipulator, facilitator, <laughs> flux capacitor. For his time experiments. Mm. I, look, I think he's, he's a nice comic side character. Mm. A, a typical Douglas Adams type of character. Yeah. Sure, finding yes. one of his stories. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think he adds to the tone of it. Like, he's not someone who's um, particularly menacing. I think, mm. you know, Julian Glover's really the only one who comes close to that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, that sort of comic character is there um, with, with good effect, I think. He does start to slowly question what's going on and why he's being asked to do That's these things true. until the very end where he says, you know, why is everyone talking about killing all the time? Yeah. yeah. Just want to make a beautiful time machine thing. Yeah, he wants to yeah. basically yeah. feed the world with chickens. Yes, he does. Mm. Mm. Um, and then he became a skeleton. Yeah. <laughs> From yeah. his which, own, a product of his own. Which for 1979 oh, special yeah. effects. Wow. I really fantastic. liked that show. Pretty I thought good. it was good. I like how uh, the glasses fall off his face at yeah. one point. Yeah. Actually, that's a bit I didn't like because I just thought, why are his clothes disappearing? But he still has his glasses. No, they would have all skeleton. like, they would have gone mouldy and fallen apart. They did the Kern to Rex. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then his glasses uh, don't can I, Why didn't they just well, rewind it? Down. Why didn't they just rewind it like the it chicken and bring it back to life? Everyone just moved on and said, oh, Kerensky, who cares? Whatever. Why'd you bring the chicken back but you didn't bring the scientist back oh yeah he's just gone yeah they just let him die i actually read the james goss novelization of city of jazz which came out in 2015 and he goes into a little bit of depth here about kerensky's death so we've got 15 seconds on screen watching it where we see him sort of like just turn to dust basically In reality, for Kerensky, oh, in inside the no, time field generator, it's his life. entire lifespan. He's stuck in there. For him, it's real time. Whoa, so he's watching. Course. He's watching the Count Romana Duggan all standing Super there like slow-mo. statues. Yeah. He mentioned he describes seeing them blink every few years, oh. um, and he swears that the Count never once blinks, but at the very end, he does wink at him. <laughs> which is oh, really just cool. like amazing oh, and in the end it, it's basically described that he dies of boredom pretty much oh, he'd go and crazy the surely. last thing what he saw yeah. yeah well he was sleeping on the platform he's standing up he's trying to write poetry he's doing all this stuff to fill in the days and the whole time Romana's hand is trying to reach out to him and he knows that he'll never get to touch her before no, he dies cool. yeah so it's a pretty cool it's very interesting um, and heartbreaking uh, and then we've got who else we've got? we've got? Oh, there's only there's not a lot left. There's Herman, Herman. who is just a straight up uh, like Tintin bad guy. He's yeah, got, yeah, he's got the Absolutely. gloves and stuff. He, like, he should be in a more of a nautical sort of. Yeah, thing, and he, he like loves it. being evil. He loves <laughs> it. He does. He, he does. loves it. Uh, yeah, what's that race? wonderful Tom Baker line? Uh, um. oh. <laughs> I say. What a wonderful butler. He's so violent. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really all you can say about Herman. There's not much else. That's no, much uh, he follows his instructions to the letter. He's mm. fiercely loyal. Yeah. Good henchman. Yeah, absolutely. And then apart from the two actual henchmen, mm. who double as the gallery guards as well, I think. <laughs> By the way. Who are pretty rubbish. Scarlione just has killed mm. um, halfway through episode one. Oh, he, he oh, ordered, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was outraged. Yeah, he, I was said, like, <laughs> he said something like, excellent work, but not good enough. <laughs> like, but not good enough. Kill them. The detective and his friends, Excellency. No, Herman. Those two fools. With Pleasure, Excellency. I'd love to. And then the only guy that's left to really talk about is the soldier. We're talking about the whole cast. This is crazy. We are, but we need to. Even though this is an unnamed soldier, and actually he's credited just as soldier in in it. When he goes back to Leonardo. Who is it? Yeah, Ah, this is it, the 1505 scene in Leonardo's study. Who is it? But it's Peter Halliday, who we saw last month in... Remembrance of the Duelics. As the blind vicar. Yeah, that's so cool. And And had also been in Doctor Who previously. Many times. Yeah, and and particularly I've mentioned the role of Packer. It's Mm. one of my favourites when we get to it eventually at some point in a Troughton serial called The Invasion. We will be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, but he's a great actor, man. Like yeah. he, He's nothing like the blind vicar in Remembrance. He's nothing like Packer from The really Invasion. He's a chameleon. Yeah. He's a 
yeah, 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 absolutely. And I didn't pick him until I read about him that it was him. And I was like, I went back and I was like, actually, yeah, I can kind of hear it in his voice that that's him. <laughs> Silence's ghost. It's almost in there, mm. but he's Cockney. There are, of oh. course, two, I don't know if you could call them characters, but two cameos, cameos yeah, mm. uh, that we, we see right at the end. Uh, admire, admiring the TARDIS as a piece of art. Yes, they mistake it for an installation in the gallery. <laughs> it's one Mr. John Cleese. And, and Eleanor one... Bron. Yes, Eleanor Bron. And since it has no call to be here, the art lies in the fact that it is here. How did it come about? Because I, I, my understanding is they just happened to be uh, in the studios on the day. This happened all the time. So yeah, the BBC yeah. Studios was like an open door. It, you know, Studio 3 might have Doctor Who. Studio 2 might have, at that time, Forty Towers sure. or something similar. Mm. So John Cleese was just milling around and say, like, oh... They yeah, were the, they're in the middle of filming a Faulty Towers episode. I think it was oh, on the same right? day. Well, they might have were. been the last one too. It might have been the last oh, Faulty Towers. I, there is, it is written somewhere what episode it is. Yeah, um, yeah. But apparently they did one run through and then they just they didn't nailed see him. Yeah, yeah. How awesome is that? <laughs> John Cleese didn't even want his name on the credits. Like he was just like, oh, what did he say he wanted his name as? I can't. They're all, David they're all, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're all They're all like Cambridge Footlights pals. They are. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Gross. But they were great. Absolutely. Exquisite. Do you know also um, that gag of the TARDIS being mistaken for a work of art? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fiction not being stranger than real life. Uh, it wasn't, I think it was about 2002, the Venice Biennale. Mm. Um, it appears actually, the, a blue TARDIS appears in the Venice um, <laughs> Biennale as, as a work of art. Obviously wow. influenced wow. by this scene. That's incredible. Yeah. Life imitates art. That's so good. Life imitates art, yeah. <laughs> Go with it, Bridge. I'll go on with it. But, um, well, where's. <clears throat> Can we actually, if we're going to talk about one set first. Can we talk about the model for Earth 400 million years mm-hmm. before uh, the events in Paris take place? So it's, it's, we're talking before any wasteland. Life. And you don't, even, wasteland. You, don't, yeah. you don't even realize that until later on in the story. That's it's just true. a, a yeah. spaceship in the desert. And it's, it's great. a wonderful set. It's, a, it's just a sort of very detailed landscape with a matte painting of a beautiful red sky mm. yeah. in the background. Very and, primordial. And amongst that, we have the Jaggeroth spaceship. How good does it look? It looks fantastic. I'm not sure who's responsible the, for that design. <laughs> at the end, when it's the thing on it spins around, it's yeah, so cool. it's yeah. great. And the legs fold in yeah. as it goes up. This is all within the bubble of uh, of uh, how good and bad Doctor Who can be. So let's <laughs> step outside a bubble and ask Bridget. Did you like the models and some of the model work of the sets and stuff? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it look pretty 70s, dudes. Yeah. <laughs> Were you awake at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed this part at the end because I felt like it was really good sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It was just like, it was like, oh, mm. this is where you came from. And it was yeah. like a science oh, lesson. Oh, yeah, okay, It was like cool. educational, yeah. actually. So I really, really enjoyed it. So you mean the ending, the ending when, when we yeah. realised that not only um, is he trying to say, like, not only does the explosion splinter Scully mm. only through time, but yeah. also it starts, kickstarts the human race. It's really cool the, the way in episode one we had a model set mm-hmm. of the landscape and in episode four we got the the full scale version which bridget's talking about where we do we get that awesome stuff about the primordial soup the doctor's hell's dug and this is where you came from i love it when he puts he just puts it into his hand yeah. he's like here you go here's your ancestor it's like yeah. oh yeah gross. yeah yeah gross yeah <laughs> um yeah and i personally i just thought it looked great mate. the set was good oh, i like the the chateau it's kind of oh, yeah. dark and kind of and the cellar that's like claustrophobic and mm. dank and mm. the, the lab 
Yeah, I think the Chateau, cool. Yeah, the Chateau really works, of course, mm. because it's, again, it's BBC Props Department, and they can do anything that's period. Mm. And this does yeah. look like something that um, would be furnished by largely pre-revolution yeah. French furniture, and it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, it's it is. Get it right. It's bigger than normal. Yeah. Like this, this, I think so too. The walls like, yeah. go up higher in than normal in a BBC. Yeah. You know, usually they cut off the they cut off the walls, yeah. and it's all it quite feels tight. Cramped. Yeah, yeah, cramped. This one's a bit more spacious than it. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Sometimes, especially in Doctor Who, sometimes it's like, man, that is a tiny room. There's like a lot of stuff bunched in there. Yeah. You're right. With the yeah. chateau, it wasn't so much the case. I, I felt it was more open. I think um, that's probably just down to what you said, Dan. The mm. fact that you, the um, the ceilings are probably a little bit higher. The mm. walls are a little they put bit the wall higher flats than most. A bit, yeah, a bit yeah. higher than normal than yeah. most sets. Are yeah. they always sets, or are they on location? Could it, uh, actually sometimes I, they're on location. Yeah, I, I think yeah. You can usually I, tell, but yeah. for these for these ones in City of Death, I think mm. it's all. In BBC Studio, studio. Yeah, 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 you can tell yeah. because when a difference when it goes to OB outside broadcast, of you can course. the quality changes. Yeah, you yeah, can okay, usually, usually tell. Yeah, actually, that's a really good telltale sign. So, location shoots are usually done on film, mm-hmm. and there's that sort of beautiful grainy yep. um, element to the to so the visuals. All our Paris exteriors would have been on absolutely, film. Yep. and don't they look great? Mm. And then you go into studio, and it looks like I don't know, Home and Away. Yeah, <laughs> videotape. Yeah, oh, yeah. Seventies Home and Away yeah. would be so <laughs> rad. Oh, <my laughs> and the lab. I mean, I love oh, the, lab, I love yeah, the machine. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, like there's yeah. three prongs. It's great. You know, as soon as you go into the lab, you know it's a lab, and you know that's the yeah. machine. Like you yeah. know what everything is. You know yeah. where you are. And there's, there's a dungeon next door. There's a door to <laughs> yeah, the dungeon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. pretty great. Um, and like you say, yeah, the time field generator stuff that the, mm. the professor's building and stuff. It yeah. looks great. It looks good. great. I think it does. Mm. Bridget. Yeah. Okay. You she's gonna give, yeah, she's gonna give us that one. <laughs> Thanks, babe. <laughs> uh, For uh, the sweet dogs out there who don't know, Dan and Bridget are actually in a relationship. They're, um, they fell in love in Paris. <laughs> yeah, we, we we run everywhere instead of walking. Hand in hand. Yeah. We're talking about sort of technology stuff. Like we've got Professor Kerensky's machine that he's building the mm. time field generator for the Count. Um, there's also other stuff in there as well. They do a simulation. How good is it? Oh, the hologram. Uh, yeah, the hologram the of stealing hologram to, yeah. to steal the Mona Lisa. So they've got their crooks on standby <laughs> to uh, steal a, a hologram of the Mona Lisa. Yeah, practicing at home. Ooh. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's beautiful. Um, it's obviously it's shot so that we cut away to it and it looks like they're in the Louvre. They're yeah. using the Louvre set, um, and we think, what on earth is going on here? They're mm-hmm. actually going through and stealing. Yeah, the... I thought that too. <laughs> but but of course, it sort of mm. uh, wibbly wobblies away, and we it get the all uh, hologram. <laughs> yeah, and um, it's like extremist from it. this season as well. Yeah, I was about to say that. It's, it's like it's extremist. A, yeah. I reckon it's clever and yeah. it's great. Yeah, and uh, Douglas Adams did it first. <laughs> hey. I like where they bend the light beams away from the painting. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Oh, it was yeah. great. And the fact that they even attempted that with 1970 special effects yeah. and, a, and a low budget, I assume, uh, mm. was pretty cool. And yeah. so, am I right? He's stealing. He's stealing the Mona Lisa because he's got all these other ones that he made Leonardo da Vinci paint. Yeah. So that he could sell. Because like, if you you can't sell a bunch of Mona Lisas mm-hmm. to a bunch of different sellers unless you unless it's been visibly stolen. Stolen. Yeah, right. that's right. So they all think they've got the original. The original. Yeah. So they're never going to talk about it. They just want it in their collection. And why? Since he's already a millionaire why is he trying to sell a bunch of Mona Lisa's to fund his time experience so it is to fund yeah. the experience because the, like, the professor says a bunch of times like even you count cannot afford this like this right. is going he's to like, cost millions he's like and millions will a million francs do <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's so good he oh, pulls yes, out his jacket Carl, yes <laughs> he actually would have been st- like before the doctor had come and wrote this is a fake on it he would have been totally stuffed anyway because yeah. Leonardo would have painted Mona Lisa with eyebrows six <laughs> times and then one in the loop has no eyebrows <laughs> okay okay oh, the eyebrows. okay what happened yeah. was like there was in restoration the restorator so, rubbed off the eyebrows. So, bro, oh, in, so in the interim, yeah. in the interim, sweet dogs, Bridget's been googling about. I the, need to uh, know the, the answer to this. But so wait, that's more spectacular years, than I thought. Bricked up in that 
Godzilla. Yeah, the eyebrows. Would have been the eyebrows. eyebrows. <laughs> Worthless. Mona Lisa's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, but they're going to, like, if, they you, if you buy the illegally stolen Mona Lisa, you never show anyone else. It's, no, it's no, private no, no. in your, it's only, you only ever have it in your house. Yeah. In Sorry. your sex dungeon. Actually, I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed that bit where they go in there and try and steal the Mona Lisa in the hologram. Because yeah. it actually got me to thinking, how do they keep this safe? Yeah. Like, what is the actual security? Is there actually lasers? I reckon there is. There can't be lasers because that would be like light. The light is bad for. And maybe not in the seventies as well. In the seventies, it might be a bit hard to have lasers on. I know. I'm not sure. There's no spillage from a laser. Really? Is that true? Yeah. Mm. Back with science talk with Dan and Bridget. Uh, we're talking about lasers. <laughs> what if it's accidental refraction or something? It like burns a hole through. You're like, what? <laughs> I was trying to give a save. Are there any light beams? Maybe that's what happened to her eyebrows. And it oh, <laughs> they got lasered off. <laughs> I think also what City of Death does really well is to really critique the art world and in particular the way in which art is commoditized. This whole idea of stealing the Mona Lisa, though, which is yeah. kind of like a staple of a lot of like genre um, films and, and, mm. and uh, 60s, yeah, caper yeah, so films. It's Thomas Crown Affair for me, yeah. Most, yeah. most particularly, but also I don't know if you guys ever played Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. as a kid mm. oh, yeah. and she steals like the Mona that. Lisa. It's still, yeah, it's <laughs> very much in the sort of pulp, uh, common imagination. I love that sort of that sort of reference to it as well. Mm. Um, you've got the whole idea of these um, versions of the Mona Lisa being produced to basically fund fund the accounts experiments um, yeah and and obviously being bought by people who basically covet these as, as items rather than as, as experiences yeah. mm. and it, it's a really sort of nasty little dig at the art world I think um, it's it's a lovely sort of well for us anyway um, underlining of the fact that art isn't something that should be sold and bought it's mm. something that should be experienced whether mm-hmm. it's visual arts or music or whatever the case is yeah and i think studio death does a really lovely job in sort of pulling that through mm. well there's also that stuff about romana yeah like, for where, sure where yeah. she thinks about art obviously because she says mm. well that's silly we've got machines that uh, draw and paint yeah. and so why yeah why do you paint these things why would you draw them <laughs> yourselves like uh, she doesn't get she can't grasp you're taking um a scientific genius from another yes. world uh, Where there far, is no adva- far advanced from our own world yeah. dumping her in 1979 Paris <laughs> and expecting her to understand it things like the Mona Lisa why people would want to come from all around the globe to look at it well, all around the universe yeah. I, I, oh, I, I yeah, like that yeah. segue he was like oh the blah 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 oh, yeah, yeah. I love Tom Baker in that scene as well he's so great that's one of the great treasures of the universe and you say quite good the world, Doctor, the world. What are you talking about? Not the universe in public, Doctor. It I don't care. Attention. Look, it's one of the great treasures of the universe. I don't care. Let them gawp. Let them gape. What do I care? When he's on a, when he's on a roll, he just has the tact of a moose. He does oh, yeah, not Ramaya's care. Yeah, trying like, to. She's like, yeah. chill out, chill yeah, out. Yeah, just <laughs> here. Real Shut time. it down. Yeah, yeah. I think though, by the end, Romana is someone who does also understand the value of art. You think she gets mm. it by the end? I think she does. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she's gone through this adventure and, and has gone, as we see in episode one, from someone who doesn't understand art, things that can be created by computers. Mm. Um, through to someone who, I suppose, has seen uh, what that sort of collector mentality does to art yeah and what the true value and worth of art is instead and while you've got all that going on you know in the art world you've also got count scaglione this sort of this villainous genius mastermind in the in the background uh, planning to bring it all to its knees for his own ends <laughs> yeah you know? the flash bits where it flashes to all his personas yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. wearing like, I a like that different yeah, yeah. stuff in each one uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what- i was like so there is incarnations and he's he's split through time but mm. i like the idea that um they're all sort of present at the same time because they talk mm. to each other so, so they 
it's, it's not almost as though they experience it at the same time, same though time. they're divided by time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you said yeah, it right. Yeah. You said it better. Yeah. yeah. I love that. It's great. Why do you love that so much? <laughs> well, because we're so used to, I don't linear know, we're so time. used to linear time. Even with the Doctor, he's got incarnations that, you know, we start mm. with um, Hartnell, we go through to Troughton and Pertwee. Sure. And it's all quite linear, but I like that he experiences time in a different way to the rest of us. That He's they experiencing all these different yeah. time zones at once. Yeah. yeah. They speak to each other across the ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he can see, th- he's, you know, he remembers things that Tancredi sees. Mm-hmm. when he's Scaglione and yeah. vice versa yeah. yeah yeah it's interesting so he's got 12 splinters spread mm-hmm. across like what 400 million years of sort mm-hmm. of time there mm-hmm. and they're all sort of got this conscious link they're all sort of like um, leaving things behind for other ones that are in the future yeah. to use and manipulate and things like and, that and manipulating the human race like a, yeah you know, it's like starting it off and just like uh, as the show goes on you realize more and more what a hand he's actually mm-hmm. had in everything bringing the human race into yeah, the dominant yeah. creature of the planet and it's, it's, it's all just to get home like yeah, he, he, yeah. Make, he creates a race yeah a great scene that shows a lot of this is when the countess goes back to the collection after the doctor sort of says to her like do you really know what man you've been living with all this time <laughs> yeah. and she just laughs it off but eventually she's just like well Ooh, hang yeah. on <laughs> the doctor mentions at one point the fact that he's got a green head and one eye so she goes she goes to that notice. she goes and pulls out that secret scroll the Egyptian parchment yeah yeah, yeah. Egyptian parchment opens it up and sure enough on the end there <laughs> is uh, Scaroth the last of the Jagaroth <laughs> with the green tentacled head and with the one eye and she loses it because yeah obviously mm. I just love the idea that he's gone to so much trouble to create yeah. a civilization just to, get just him, to, get just to wipe it out. Yeah. yeah. You know, on one hand, he is a barking lunatic and a genius, but on the other hand, he's also lonely. Like, there's a sadness in him, and I think Julian yeah, Glover really true. brings that across yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. In lines like, The centuries that divide me shall be undone! Undone. It's like a, a saying that he's got with his other splinters. It's like a mantra, yeah, yeah, it's great. We tried to leave, but the ship disintegrated. I was fractured. Splinters of my being are scattered in time. All identical, none complete. Mm. And he really does wear the countless centuries on his face in that scene. There's just moments like that where I thought, man, thank God for Julian Glover. Yeah. He's great. Yeah, like, he, he makes this. It. Yeah, he's he great. Really even, does. Even, like, even at the end, in that end scene, when he's trying to get to the ship and stop his earlier self from taking off, he's, yeah. you really hear him, he's really wailing. Yeah. But um, was that really his plan, just to walk up to the ship and be like, gonna, hey, don't take off, don't take off? <laughs> he was going to stop the ship taking off because that was how the, the last of them got wiped out. Yeah. So he was going to, I guess, try and work out another way to try and get take off, off without, primordial Earth. Yeah. Well, maybe, yeah. So at the start of the show, he should, they're like, don't take off this way because you'll blow up. And he's like, I don't care. I'm going to do it. Yeah. He kind of um, is worried about doing it the way that they're suggesting because he thinks mm. it could go wrong and it does go wrong, but he didn't have many options mm. at hand. You're a, you're a Scaroth apologist. <laughs> well, as I said, I read the book. <laughs> so what you guys, do you reckon if like the doctor had helped him get back to his people or get off Earth, mm. that he would have had to be so evil? Well, the explosion that ends the Jagaroth and starts mm. the splintering of Scaroth across time is also what kickstarts the human race, what becomes a human race. Without that explosion, that bending of time, mm. we wouldn't be here. Yeah. Paris wouldn't be there. Also, without his influence across, like, 400 million years of evolution, mm. humanity wouldn't have yeah. evolved. Yeah. Sort of pick- but can't we just evolve from this moment without him? Why do we have to go back? To uh, save him. Can he, he not be saved in some other way that the doctor can figure out so that time is not distorted well, no, and that he, he says, can have like he a says life? Though, because... doesn't he? He says mm. uh, you, you don't get a second chance or you don't get a second oh. bite. Yeah, you roll the dice. You roll this the is, dice. Yes. The moment your race kills itself, another is born. That has happened. It will happen. What do I care the human race? Scum! The tools of my salvation! 
the product of your destruction. History cannot change. It cannot. I will change it. Yeah. It's like, I know you want it, and I know you want it desperately, but you can't have it. It's mm. the whole thing, like in the new series yeah. where they talk about fixed points in time. Mm. I think this is probably like, you know, it's not labelled as such, but uh, obviously this would be an example in Classic Who as well, where without this, there is no humanity. Without mm. that, there is no, you know, Scarlione, um and his plans. It's basically dependent entirely on the fact that the Scaroth end, or the Jagoroth rather, end mm. at that point in time, 400 million mm. years um, before the events of Paris. Yeah. I just love that it's, it's kind of kicks into that sort of 60s and 70s sci-fi of the time about yeah. mm. how we didn't really, how, you know, the, the idea that we didn't get where we are on our own. We were helped by, you know, a, a mm. benevolent alien, well, not benevolent in this case, uh, yeah. but like in 2001, there's yeah, just like, sure, yeah, and a few sure. other things, like the idea that we were helped along, mm. yeah. we didn't get to where we are on our own. Yeah. Obviously not benevolent in this case. <laughs> but hey, we've got to thank to him. To a degree. Thanks, yeah. man. <laughs> Thanks, Gareth. Yeah. Thanks, Gareth. <laughs> thank you for your service <laughs> and your sacrifice. Oh. Your great, great <laughs> sacrifice. Why couldn't he just be a splinter, like be a bunch of splinters? Is it uncomfortable? Just couldn't, uh, he's, there's, a, there's a yearning across the chasm oh. of time. He has a yearning uh, yes. between, because he nice. says um, we're all the same but none complete. Yes, you're right. So they're always in contact with each other, and some of them are in trouble too. Some of them aren't in as a fortunate position as him. Mm. Some of them are like they're all also, working to make him rich, basically. Yeah, they're all mm. funneling all the all, all the wealth and things forward to yeah, him so that he can afford to make the machine. Yeah. So he can go right. back. Stop it from happening. Yeah. Yeah. Team effort. Yeah. Good work, Scarath the Jagger. I love the way that um, this in this story got a really good example of the way that Tom Baker's doctor often turns the tables on his captors. Like yeah. he, um, you know, he's often he often gets captured. and He's like, "Well, let's go. Let's go then. All right, you've captured me. Let's go." And he sort of leads the way. And- you must be the Countess Scalioni, and this is clearly a delightful Louis Cam's chair. I mean, I sit in it. I say, haven't they worn well? Thank you, Herman. That'll be all. Uh, I want a drink. Yeah, we're gonna have a drink. Duggan, you sit there. Romana, you sit over there. Uh, isn't this perfectly lovely? And it's just yeah. like everyone's caught off yeah. guard except for Herman. the Count. Yeah, that example. force of personality, yeah. and this is why Tom Baker, I think, is still remembered as as probably the best classic Doctor to he, this day. He does it again he as inhabits well. Inhabits the role. Count Scalioni is the one who's really like and not fooled, unflappable, mm-hmm. very dismissive, very alien in his mm-hmm. own approach. Yeah, um, it's like when you put um, Tom Baker up against a, a Bond villain, basically. It's not gonna, yeah, not going to yeah. take it. There's a great argument between Scalioni and Romana, which put me in mind of what you guys discussed when we did Earthshock a couple of months back. Yeah, the yeah. argument between the oh. Cyber Leader and the Fifth Doctor. about you know the the futility of emotion basically and it's also um, played out the same way where basically Scarlioni calls Romana's bluff Count you must have realised by now that I'm not from this planet why should it worry me if you destroy Paris what are you talking about you had your warning Herman kill him no ah so you do care I think you've answered your own question not a very clever bluff and he's like ah Gotcha. Yeah, so yeah. much like it. Yeah, it is yeah. a really fast-forwarded yeah. version of the Earth Shock. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. like no. Nope. Du- okay, good. And Douglas Adams did it first. <laughs> <laughs> nice. They're, I love how they avert they avert a disaster by letting an explosion happen instead of stopping an explosion or stopping a disaster. <laughs> they let it happen. Yeah. Oh, and also how really the, the day is saved not by in this oh. case witticisms and intelligence and <laughs> yeah. charm yeah. by a punch. <laughs> Yeah, my so Duggan's yeah. punch is like amazing. Yeah. One punch Duggan. Purity. <laughs> yeah, uh, the most important punch in history. At this point, he's thrown himself through brick walls. He's thrown himself through windows of the Louvre. He's smashed doors open. He's punched countless people. I, I think it's a very uh, subversive, clever sort of 
tip everything upside down in terms of a, a Doctor Who narrative. Usually it's the Doctor being brilliant yeah. and yes. saving the day through intelligence. Yeah. Now it's just some common schmo who yeah. just... But I, I remember laughing out loud last night when, I, when he punched <laughs> I forgot that he did it. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so great. He just saved the human race. Like, uh, a, there's a certain look of satisfaction on his face. So he's like, see, violence wins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also love, did you notice that he turns to the Doctor? He's about to lay him out as well. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and he's, yeah. and he's in a roll. He's just going to start swinging. He didn't, did he didn't get in one liner after he punched him? That's what I... Oh, oh he yeah. Look at a YouTube or something like that, you know, like yeah. but in an English, you know, in a yeah. very British accent. So it doesn't yeah. work very well. Yeah, that would been great. Like Scully only lands into the uh, into the mud, and he's like, "Hope you ordered the soup." Or, you know. <laughs> yeah, the primordial yeah. soup. Yeah. What a good ending! And then uh, they get to go back to the Oval Tower, and yeah, no, still this is a... and then they end by running through Paris, running which through they did Paris. all. I really love that scene. I do love the fact that um, you know this is the last scene of the story. It's on the Eiffel Tower with Duggan. Um, and he's still playing catch-up. Hmm. They're basically leaving him instruction to put one of the copies of the Mona Lisa back because oh, yeah. the original's now been destroyed mm. in the fire. I love that it's chateau. a copy. It's yeah. so great. And it'll be with yeah. eyebrows. Yeah, oh. and it will be with eyebrows bridge. So, you know. You've discovered like, the fatal flaw. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor Who has to implode now, doesn't it? The city of death is rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> millions, millions of sweet dog's heads are popping across the globe as, we, uh, as they hear this right Genius. now. I love this scene because, you know, he's, ca- he's still playing catch-up. The Doctor and Romana are still sort of baffling him with words. Where do you two come from? From? Well, I suppose the best way to find out where you've come from is to find out where you're going and then work backwards. Where are you going? I don't know. Nor do I. Goodbye. And then they just tap him on the shoulder. See ya. See ya. And they're off. Yeah. And so he goes. He wanders. He wanders over to the postcard booth. He buys the postcard <laughs> yeah. with the Mona Lisa. That was really good. Yeah. He goes back to the railing and he looks over and there's the Doctor and Mana yeah. running across the field <laughs> and into the city of love. They, I reckon. I think mm. the Doctor. Uh, yeah. I think the Doctor and his companions. They just love leaving people in a flippant way. They like, do. Bye. See yeah. ya. Bye. Oh my god! You changed my life and my society. And James everything's like. Bye. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll be fine. Don't worry yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you got to go and process the fact you've been travelling in time now. <laughs> Yeah, it's the stranger archetype again. You know, the last mm. act of that story is that they just leave without saying anything. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, they often leave without even saying goodbye. They're just like, we'll mm. just slip away. Oh, we so, hate goodbyes. So, Bridget, as someone who's probably seen more new Who than you have classic Who, mm-hmm. how do you, how, did you enjoy it? What did you think yeah, of it? What did you think? Yeah, what would you say mm. to someone who um, is new to classic Who uh, from, from the new stuff and they're looking for someone to watch? Would you recommend this story? Yeah, and, I and would. why? It's completely different. It's not as fast-paced. For me, it's all about nostalgia as well. It's like, oh. you can't take that away from me. It reminds me of a time. It's sentimental. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you watch it. And I, I, I couldn't tell you what it would be like to be someone who's never seen, mm. never grown up mm. with it. Sure. You know what yeah, I mean? So call. for me, there's an emotional attachment already. So mm. I liked it because... Yeah, you know, for all those reasons, I, I, but also because it's completely retro. It's mm. like it looked so beautiful. I liked it a lot. Awesome, I like that. I like the fact that you said um, it, it's nostalgia for you. It's a place and a time, and it can't be yeah. taken away. I it's think good. that's something that's quite good. common to all like mm. people who yeah. love classic Who and Doctor Who generally. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Lady and gentlemen, it is time now to play a game called Crackers or Clangers. <laughs> Uh, we do this at the end of every uh, episode. So um, we're going to go through the story, look at the cliffhangers of each mm. episode, decide which ones we like, which ones we maybe didn't, which one's a cracker, which one's a clanger. And we count the ending as one of them as well, don't we? We, we do. certainly yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, so we discuss that as well. All right, gentlemen and Bridget. <laughs> 
It's never going to uh, not be awkward. Let's talk, let's talk City of Death. Cliffhanger number one. Cliffhanger number one. The Count pulls off his Julian Glover mask to reveal his Scaroth, Last of the Jaggeroth. A head that's bigger on the inside yeah. than it is on the outside. <laughs> now, this is classic Doctor Who. This is a classic sort of oh, yeah. uh, cliffhanger idea that, like, you know, that someone gets exposed. Is the yeah. Auton pulling his face yeah. off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess it's the reveal of the immediate threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the so monster we, reveal. Yeah, from Douglas Adams' actual notes, there's a little bit in the uh, in the book by James Gossip uh, about the mask. So aliens have been coming down to Earth and leaving things behind <laughs> like junk for <laughs> centuries and centuries and centuries. The splinters have been scavenging them, hiding them for later ones mm. to find. And use one of the yeah. one of his past selves puts mm. it in a box and says it's here, and then in, like, yeah. you know, the hundred million years later, he's like, oh yeah, it's in there. I get cool. it. Cool. And now I'm going to use it. One of them was what is described as a technology that can manipulate plastics. Nestines, anyone? Maybe. <laughs> the the mask that Scaroth's using is actually this particular cool. material. So it's weird. He could rip it apart. It'll form back on his face uh, again. Yeah, because it's, uh, it's, it's, he, he tears it apart at one point. And I was yeah. like, that's a whole mask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do with that <laughs> well, priceless face? So there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff about his prototypes for the mask as well. He, like, he gets the original idea from watching like theatre and drama and seeing all these amazing masks and things that people are, are wearing, mm. like in like Greek theatre and stuff. Mm. And he starts building them out of wood and things and <laughs> scaring the pants off people. And then eventually getting to the point where he gets to use this tech. So. <laughs> but is it a clacker? A clacker? Is it a clacker or a cranger? It's Tried and tested. Yeah. It's clacker, cracker. <laughs> I'm going to go with cracker, guys. I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty easy cracker, right? I mean, it's a, it's a little wobbly. It's a bit of a wobbly mask. Yeah. Okay. The cliffhanger for episode two. <laughs> Scarlione is now revealed also as Captain Tancredi in Renaissance Italy. Right. So this is what we were talking about before. Bridge. He enters the room all wigs and corsets. Mm-hmm. He looks fantastic. <laughs> I think that is exactly the question I ought to be asking you. Clanger. You didn't like oh, it? You it okay. was a uh, I think maybe because I watched this really late at night. Right. And I was just like, oh man, well, double parter, triple parter, I'm tired. <laughs> and he comes out, he's like, and then it ended, and I was like, Here at New Doho, we have a little saying about something like that. We call it high comedy and fast. Yeah. Would yeah. you, Steve, what would you think? No, I just think it's a bit underwhelming. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We'll go with underwhelming. I, I mean, I laughed out loud. I liked it. I, I like when, I like, cause it's, uh, if you're watching it for the first time, you're like, how is he in two places at once? I, I think yeah. the concept is sound. Yes. I just don't think the Oh, yes, yeah, yes. Look, maybe it was five to ten on a, a recording sure. night at the BBC, <laughs> and they just had to, wipe, you know, re- really quickly do it. Before sure, they sure, turn sure. the lights off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, episode three: the death of Professor Kerensky yeah. in the time field generator. It was monstrous. So. Not that switch. Pretty really monstrous. Horrible. Pretty chilling. Yeah. Special effects are decent for 1979. I would agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. It was great. Great. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cracker. Yeah. Unanimous. Cracker. <laughs> okay. All right. Bridget's like, moving on, people. Come on, Cole. <laughs> Come on, Cole. Wrap it up. What? I, I swear. I swear. When I mentioned episode three earlier, I heard Bridget go, "Oh." <laughs> so you've been okay. spoiled by these forty minutes, forty-five minute episodes. I know, like, yeah. 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 Okay, Bridget. I promise it's the last one. Episode four. We've already discussed it, actually, Bridge. So the puzzled Duggan left on top of the Eiffel Tower, mm. uh, and the Doctor managed to part for more adventures. So that's basically. 
the cliffhangers for City of Death. They run away into, they run through Paris into future fun times. Yeah, it's beautiful. I've already mentioned earlier, I did love that, with Doug and buying the postcard and stuff and and, uh, watching the Doctor and Lila. Yeah, and it's made more so by the sort of meta aspect of Tom and Lila being in love at this point Mm, in Paris. I think I'm going to, for all of those reasons, I'm going to go on the record and say that Episode 4 is my favourite. Okay. Mm. Episode 4 is your favourite and like uh, Cliffhanger Cliffhanger 4, City of Death, yep. Oh, cool. I'm not going to give it to that. I'm going to give it to Episode 1. Yes. Uh, I reckon it's not only the best cliffhanger in City of Death, Mm. it's actually the best cliffhanger in all of Graham Williams' Doctor Who. Wow. I'll go that far. Jagger off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So why do you think it's the best one in all of uh, Graham Williams? I I just think it's one of those moments in time where if you were to have seen it as a kid, it would have lived on in the memory. And I don't Mm. don't think there's anything as impactful in those three years underneath Williams as this one. Largely because, as we said it before, Hinchcliffe was the horror master and, and, Mm. and Williams is very much more a sort of comedic light tone. When you are confronted with something terrifying in, in that sort of uh, tone, it really jars, I think. And yeah, that's okay. why it stands out for me. Yeah. Well, my oh, favourite cliffhanger is definitely the my imaginary one where Duggan punches out Jagger, uh, Scarath the Jaggeroth and then says a one-liner. What's the one-liner? Uh, oh, you know, like, like the, what yeah, you said was great. Yeah. Who ordered the soup? Because he, yeah. he, he, he lands in primordial soup. Yeah, that's yeah, actually yeah. what he lands in. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's definitely yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, I'm here all day, folks. <laughs> that's exactly uh, what I think. That should have been the end. So you reckon, like, knockout, <laughs> who ordered the soup, roll credits. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that's why what I Why waste time? Mean, yeah, yeah. Um, Given that wasn't, though, what is your favourite? Yeah, what's your favourite, Bridget? Uh, that mm. one is my favourite. I like that okay. idea, the yep. like, reveal of the science behind the whole episode it's just like ah if it didn't blow up you wouldn't exist well I wouldn't exist but I'm thinking and I'm here right now (laughs) it's like my boy's your little mind I didn't have to go back to the romance for me but yeah the punch was funny shall we go back to our central premise as we do every podcast of course and say to people who are new to Classic Who why should they watch it? Yeah. Why are we watching it? Yeah, why did we watch it? Well, because we love it. I mean, we love it. We've chosen it. Why should you watch it, Yeah. Sweet Dogs? So um, after we did Remembrance, uh, we did say that uh, this was actually uh, one of Dan's stories. Uh, <laughs> me and Dan went to the pub shortly after that, uh, and he drunkenly told me that it was now my story. <laughs> At its core, we have a very unique Doctor Who story, hmm. and it is now in basically the regular top ten of the best Doctor Who classic yeah. stories As ever pulled, made. Usually, yeah. everything that's come into it, you got the cast, the people behind the scenes. Steve, I think I've heard you mention it before as a perfect storm. Yeah. So you think all the elements come together to I, make a unique story? And yeah, I do. Yeah. Think, what is the top Doctor that's polled? Oh, it's usually it's usually Tom, Tom Baker, Baker or David Tennant these days. Oh as well. yeah, really? David Tennant's yeah. a big one. Yeah, he is. Really? Yeah. Still, even yeah. season four. Mm. Well, no comment. Mm. <laughs> um, well, uh, when we start doing our podcast series, Old to Who. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I think you're right, Cole. Um, also, yeah, there's all those elements. Like, you've got... You've, it's def- it's Tom Baker and Lala Ward. It's of course. the Doctor and Romana, which is... Yeah. Cr- like, you know, that's a great entry for anyone. Mm. Yeah. A lot of them are... They're not all great. There's some clangers in there. Like, um... Mm. The Power of Kroll, maybe even the Armageddon Factor and some of the other ones, but uh, yeah, I love Lola Ward and I love mm. Tom together. I think they've got great, great chemistry. Yes. I think it's a great introduction into the idea of the Doctor having um, a time, another Time Lord companion. Yeah. I think it's also a great introduction to that era of Tom Baker's time on our screens. Mm. Uh, I think it's probably the best story of season 17. Yeah, and um, I think the best story of the Williams era. Yeah, there best we Williams. go. The so, best example and probably the, the best one mm. from the Williams era. It's like, the, like you said before, they've gone from dark gothic horror with Hinchcliffe into this sort of mm. lighter area. Yeah. yeah. So if you yeah. want to experience the full gamut, yeah. you start with um, Zygons as we did before and yeah, then yeah, yeah. up to... Uh, 
Works City of Death. Yeah, and I think ultimately you can you can boil it down to one word. This is fun. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, 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 totally. And there's a punch and an explosion at the end. Yeah, <laughs> what more could you and want? romance. And he didn't say who ordered the soup. Yeah, well, that's the one flaw in the story. Yeah, yeah. That's if we one. had to pick one. <laughs> Here we are critiquing Douglas Adams' work. Have you guys read uh, Hitchhiker's Guide or no. um, Dirk Gently? I have not. I came to it too late. Like oh. it's one of those things where I tried, but if I've Picked it up when I was twelve. I reckon I would have loved it. But Hitchhikers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's when I read it. I yeah. Think when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And did you love it? Oh, just really, really funny. Very clever. The sci-fi mm. was very strong. Still. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, I, I I agree with that. If you come to it too late, sometimes um, it doesn't have the same effect. Um, I feel like that way about Led Zeppelin. Uh, I wasn't listening to them when I was fourteen. So when I tried to listen to them at the age of twenty-five, I was like, oh, I've moved on from this. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Um, okay, so a couple of plugs, I guess. A couple um, of thank yous. Yeah, yeah. One, one I think we need to talk about is the uh, cover artwork we've used. Isn't it beautiful? For City of Death. So it's very Target-looking. Oh, yeah. You would mm. be forgiven, Sweet Dog, for thinking it was, in fact, the original Target cover. It is, in fact, not, because the book was never novelised yeah, by Target. That's right. Partly because of the whole David Agnew... Yeah, David absolutely. Fisher thing because so, David so, Fisher couldn't write it because it was rewritten. But also Douglas Doug- Adams couldn't yes. couldn't have his name on the novelization because of uh, yeah. the whole David. Agnew he thing. also wouldn't allow anyone to write it anyway oh. unless it was him, and they couldn't afford his fee. Oh, he was right. charging. Right. So it so, never uh, one thing led to another. It never got written. So we had the mar- marvelous Andy Walker, who yeah. you know on his own volition mocked mm. up a. A Wonderful City of Death cover, now, which he's let us graciously let us use. Steve, you found it originally on his website. Yeah. And we all went and had a look, and we all agreed unanimously that it was fantastic. Immediately. It's, uh, it really brings to mind sort of the stuff by Chris Achilleos. Yeah. Absolutely. It's Very like, Achilleos like. It's yeah. really quite haunting. Um, Andy does a lot of stuff. He works for Titan Comics, I think. He also uh, tries to incorporate a wide range of styles and mediums into his work. And you can have a look mm. at all of that on his website, andywalkerillustrated.com. And also, we've got another thank you for uh, another first for us a bit of fan mail from uh, Thomas Meehan yeah Thomas thank you very much our first and today only fan mail (laughs) yeah Uh, Thomas sent through a great Mm. list of of Doctor Who Adventures classic and new that we potentially could do and Thomas one of your choices in particular is coming Mm. up very very soon on YouTube and we're not going to say which one it is (laughs) so yeah Thomas thanks so much for your email and guys please follow follow his lead and keep them coming even if they're mean if you want to nitpick us Um, and give we, crap. Yeah. Do we it. want the mean ones. We want the mean <laughs> you, ones. You may get a sunglasses emoji back, but you know, <laughs> yeah. it's all part of the experience. Absolutely. Uh, new to who podcast at gmail.com. Yes, that is our email. Okay. And one more massive thanks, obviously, I think we have to say to the lovely Bridget for helping oh, us out. Yes. Sitting through four yeah. whole parts. Yeah. <laughs> thanks was, uh, so much. Bridget, thanks so much for coming Thank and being you. with us today. Well, because you used to, before we started the podcast, I think we, the three of us used to watch Doctor Who together. That and yeah. Bridget would often join us. Bridget would always join us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was always free pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean free? You never paid? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Will you be back one day? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Yes. All right. Fantastic. That's good. We like awesome. to hear it. Okay. So that's City of Death. Yeah. What about... Next month. What's I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, as you all know, this one's my one. <laughs> it is Tomb of the Cybermen. Oh, yeah. 1967-something, uh, Steve. Thank you. 1967. <laughs> I think you were going to say seven. No, we're going back into black and white. We are. So, uh, our very first episode zero was in black and white with William Hartnell. We did yeah. An Unearthly Child. We're going back to a different doctor in the black and white world, someone we haven't 
actually talked about yet, mm. and that oh, yeah. is the second Doctor, Patrick Troughton. Marvellous. Mm. Isn't he wonderful? <laughs> so uh, Tomb of the Cybermen, you can probably get from the title uh, who the villains might be <laughs> in this one. It is an absolute stone-cold 60s classic. Yeah, it's a classic. Yeah. It's actually the very first story I ever owned on VHS. Oh. I wore mm. it out awesome. to death. So you watched it ahead, like the watch Yeah, the it was like it. the first BBC official VHS I ever bought. <laughs> so it's uh, one, you must know it off by heart. Oh, well, we'll see. <laughs> Tune in. You can either buy City of Death on DVD from BBC Online or buy the episodes on iTunes. You can follow us here at Nudahoo on Facebook and Twitter at Nudahoo Podcast. Or even email us at Podcast at gmail.com. All Nudahoo Podcast episodes can be found to stream on our website, www.nudahoo.com. And you can also click subscribe on iTunes. We hate goodbyes, so until next time, I'm Bridget. I'm Dan. I'm Colin. And I'm Stephen. <laughs> is there going to be a song call Ooh. at the end? Good question. I don't know. I haven't really thought that far ahead. No biggie. No biggie. <laughs> so yeah, you go. yeah, no pressure. No pressure. You've done two. Let's just grab Bridget. <laughs> Can you do that song you did before? What was it like? Yeah. Hot Dads. What was it? Like, how did it go? What's How's the song? Hot so Dads, many big hairs, lots of teeth, and some aliens. You got one eye. There's the TARDIS. John Cleese likes it. But with her eyebrows, but with her eyebrows, but with her eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> is that, that going to be our outro? I think yeah, it is. Yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> Ridiculous. I love it.